Open your Bible to Genesis chapter 13, if you're not already there. And let's get out of chapter 13 tonight and get on into 14. Uh, we've got, uh, I've probably camped too long here already because we were talking about handling strife among saints. That may be one of the biggest needs in churches today is trying to deal with that. And so I talked about the fact that these Christians, it was Christians that had strife among them. Wasn't a bunch of pagans, wasn't a bunch of idolaters, it was Christians. And then we went on to talk about what Abraham, how he looked, and then we looked at Lot, how he looked, and Abraham was a spiritual man, Lot was a carnal man, and then we moved how that Lot was blessed because of the blessings of Abraham, verse 5 says. And so all the blessings that Lot got, God gave him. All the things come from God. Even people don't love God, everything they have comes from God. Listen, you can't get a good thing unless it comes from God. I don't care whether you're lost, saved, or what. Indifferent, doesn't matter. So then we went to the conflict. There was a strife. There was a contest. There was a controversy. They were arguing back and forth. The, the servants, the, the people that worked here and here, and they, they were agri- they were just constant bickering going on between them. And I said it was caused by space and by size. Those two things is what caused it. Then we looked at confrontation, and that's verse 8 through 10. When there is strife, and among the brethren, and it's not dealt with by them individually, then it has to be dealt with by confrontation. I don't like confrontation. Do you like it? Nobody does. Nobody likes confrontation unless you're 6'10", weigh 400 pounds. You just don't want to do it. It's just not something we like to do. It, it, it always involves and usually somebody getting their feelings hurt or them getting offended. They don't ever see it as a corrective measure. They always see it as some, something that's against them rather than for them. There's some folks who will not receive confrontation, but the Bible says if you're going to deal with strife, it'll usually come down to confrontation. So that's what happened. Verses 8 through 10, we see in verse number 8, and Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife between, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Look at his concern. Uh, sometimes we, churches lose their testimony over the fact there's strife among them. I know many, 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 many churches today that folks won't go there because they've been known to have a history of strife. Folks not going to go to that kind of church. Not if they want to do right. Now, they may, if they've caused strife somewhere else, they may want to go to that kind of church. Because then they can all get together and cause strife among themselves. But uh, people don't like to go to a church that has a testimony of strife. And so, as it comes to confrontation, you see the reason he does it is because of his concern. He, he don't want there to be any problem. He, in verse 7, he, he, he refers to the unbelievers. He don't want them to have strife among them because of Lot and Abraham. And then he goes on to say uh, that uh, he don't want the Christians, the believers, the people of altar faith, he don't want them to lose their testimony because of strife. 
So he deals with both of those things. Now look at the counsel he got in verse number nine. What was the answer? Separate. Go separate ways. Lot had to leave his Abraham's family. That was the only sane and right thing and spiritual thing to do. So wise Abram knew that separation was the only cure for this particular strife. The Bible says to live peaceably with all men with as much as within layeth within you. There's just some folks you can't get along with. And they may plug in somewhere else, but they won't plug in here. Or they may plug in here where they wouldn't plug in anywhere else. I've had a few folks that come to our church. They've been wonderful. Never caused a moment's problem. They enjoy being here, enjoy it. But they came from church. Had people say, well, you better watch them. They're troublemakers. Ain't been a troublemaker here. Maybe they're just in the wrong church before. And God plugged them in, and they've been a blessing. And then we've had people here that have been problems, and maybe it's because they ought not to be here. They ought to be somewhere else. So we see the counsel that we get here, and Abraham knew that separation was the only cure for it. Now, look at his courtesy in verse number 9. It is not the whole land before thee, is not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. And if thou take the left hand, I'll go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right, I'll go to the left. In other words, Lot, you get first pick. You get first dibs. It's up to you. If you take the right, I'll take the left. You take the left, I'll take the right. You get first pick. Now listen, Abraham didn't have to do that. He was the senior position. He had the blessings on him. He had the promise given to him. He had God all over him. He was senior in the position. He would have been the chief elder, if we would describe it. He even got all the eternal promises was given to him. And he shared them. So, to be honest, to willing to give up some of his rights. Listen, listen, hear me, because this, this is hard to do. If you want to stop strife, sometimes you've got to be willing to give up some of your rights to stop strife. I mean, if it's something, I know I'm not talking about compromise. No, no, I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying you may have a right to something. Maybe you've been sitting in the same seat for 20 years, and here comes in somebody, and they get there before you do, and they sit down in that seat. I've literally seen this happen in our church where people would not get up and move. They made them climb over them. Now, listen, uh, that it leaves a bad taste in a new member of our visitor's mouth. The thing you all do is get up and say, hey, hey, would you like this seat or I'll sit on the other side of you. Uh, what's your name? Who are you? We're glad to have you today, okay? But we say it's my right to have a seat. Now I'm going to have it. I heard somebody the other day say, somebody got my parking place today. So I, I said, well, was your name on it? Well, no, but that's where I always park. I said, better write your name on it then or somebody else will get it. So, you know, the courtesy that we need to take um, sometimes is hard. We have certain rights. It's ours. It's really ours. 
But we give them up to stop strife. I've said all the time that I've been here, I never, ever wanted money to be an issue in our church. And we've not done some things because we knew it was not supportive at the time. And so we waited till God said, do it. Now, we had the right to do it. We had the money to do it. But it just wasn't the right time. And as a pastor, I, I, I went the first four years here without any kind of a raise and didn't have insurance and nothing like that. And I refused to take anything until we paid that old building off of what we call the Ebenezer building now. We still owed on it then. And I said, do we pay this thing off? I'm not going to take anything. And because I knew that we were barely getting by and it wasn't right for me, I need to give up my right to have a better living. And bless, bless God, I needed it. But I gave up my right to have a better living and we never went in debt. God always fed us. We never had a need that God didn't take care of. But I gave up that right willingly because I did not want to have strife in the church. We were young then. We were tender then. And, and, and we just didn't need any strife. This is what Spurgeon said. It takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. Pretty good, isn't it? And so, um, I, I know I have a pastor friend. Uh, well, I, I guess you could call him friend, a pastor acquaintance, that a few years back, his church fired him. They said, we, we can't put up with this anymore. And, and, and uh, he got angry. He got mad. I don't know where he deserved to be fired or not. I, didn't, I can't even remember all the details, but this is one detail I do remember. He wouldn't leave. He wouldn't leave. He, he just wouldn't leave. Well, they didn't know what to do. He'd show up every Sunday to preach. He wouldn't leave. So they voted him out again. He still wouldn't leave. He just stayed and stayed. But then they said, quit writing him a check. He left. <laughs> he left. Listen, he may have had the right to have stayed but with that much controversy boiling around him, causing that much strife, the best thing for him to do was to separate himself. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about. That happens at work, don't it? There's somebody that's not carrying their load, but because you want to have a good testimony, even though it's your right not to do it, you do it so there's no strife. Don't know what I'm talking about? Okay, now look at the cure, verse 11. They separate themselves. They separate themselves. That's the biblical thing. They, they, uh, they, some people today don't want to do that. They just keep staying on in strife, and they never reconcile, and they never separate. And that's the only two cures. You either reconcile or you separate. That's just it. I don't, let me tell you something I don't understand. Maybe y'all can help me out with this. After service, come up and explain it to me. Why is it that people will stay in a church for several years and the whole time there, they're griping and grumbling, they don't like the preacher, don't like what he says, don't like what he looks like, don't like what he smells like, 
They don't like anything about the preacher. Can't stand the preacher. And there's other things in the church they don't like either, but they just stay. Why? Strife. The devil wants them to stay. The devil wants them to stay. For the life of me, if I was at a church, I couldn't stand the pastor. I wouldn't be back next Sunday. I wouldn't. And some hadn't. <laughs> you know, they just didn't. But the truth of the matter is, don't be running your mouth about your pastor. Just separate. You may have a right to be in that church, but that may not be where God wants you to be. And you may be a better blessing, and you may help the kingdom by separating yourself. And so that's what happens here. And so that's the cure. God's church is big enough for everyone, but maybe not the same place. Now listen, some needs to go to the right, some to the right, left. Not everyone fits together. I, 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 I'm, what I said Sunday night, I'm absolutely sure. Listen, people are confused today, and there's no wonder they're confused. We build churches inside of another church. We've got church row over yonder, other side of town, where, they, where the money is. We've got church row. You can see churches, throw rocks and hit them if you want to. And that's where we locate. Now, you tell me, you tell me why. When we could have one church there that absolutely become hot for God, one, it could be a mega church right there, just winning people to Jesus Christ. But they don't go there to win people to Jesus Christ. They build that church so their church has a name and a recognition I mean, you think about it. I know why all the little churches are in the communities because a long time ago, people didn't have vehicles. They couldn't travel. And so it just made sense to have a church in every community. Y'all understand what I'm saying? It just it was like that. When they laid their crops by, they, they, would, they would come and they'd have two-week revival. Sometimes it'd be three weeks. And everybody'd come. They'd be standing outside looking in the windows. You know, it, it was just, I, I can remember my daddies, my granddaddies talking about those days. And, and, and it, was, it was just fired up. And, 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 and they probably didn't have wonderful singing, but they sang. They sang like their hearts was on fire because it was revival time. And folks would get saved, and folks would get saved, and folks would get saved. They, then at the end of the revival, they'd go down to the river or the creek or whatever, mud hole they could find, and they'd baptize every one of them. But today it's confusing. They leave our church because they don't like what I say, and they go to another church, and he says something different. But they don't necessarily like what he says, so they go to another church, he says something different. So they don't really like that. So they go to something in our church, and he says something different. What we have is a buffet of churches. Y'all with me? That is confusing to lost people. That's why it bothers me. If we want to be a pastor, and we want to serve God, let's go to a place where God can use us. We have evangelized, this, this church alone has evangelized around, uh, around it five miles. We've evangelized it to death. We've picked fruit after fruit after fruit after fruit. That's why we don't see 10 and 15 people saved at a time, because we picked the fruit. And we did it because nobody wanted this fruit over here. 
And then God sent us good people from somewhere other places. And, and they plugged in and fit. But listen to me. It, it would cause a lot less strife now that we are mobile. Now that we have cars. Now we have trucks. Now that we have ways to travel, vans. It would cause a whole lot less trouble if churches in a certain area of a five-mile radius would get together and say, hey, we want to reach this community. Let's merge. They could have a great church. They could offer more program. They could do more things for God if they do that. But they wouldn't dare do that because a few in that church wants their way, and they'd never do that. There's some churches that probably all just come and say, if y'all have us, we'd probably like to be a part of Hillcrest. Never happen. See, we're confusing people. That's not what Jesus meant when he said, I'll build my church. You see, that's churches we build, not churches Jesus builds. I didn't mean to get off on all that, but I mean, if if you go to a town and you don't know Jesus and you started looking for a church, what would you do today? The churches used to be narrowed down to just a few choices, you know. Baptist here, the Methodist over there. And you had maybe a, a Lutheran somewhere or, or maybe another kind of church. And so, it, it, you know, back in, back in the old days, it wasn't a whole lot of difference between them. That, you know, that they would get together, have camp meetings all together. But today it's confusing. This church says... We don't need Sunday night services. It's okay to drink alcohol. Uh, don't, don't worry about how you look. God don't really care about your, your, your dress and your respect and your reverence. Don't worry about that. Just come, come as you are. Wear your flip-flops, you know, and your short britches and your tank tops. And, and, you know, it's okay to bring your studs in your nose, you know, and all that stuff. It's okay. Then they go to another church and they say, no, that's not right. Y'all try to look like the best you can for God. That's confusing. Then you go to another place and they say, if you're going to get saved, you've got to be baptized. The only way you can be saved is to be baptized. And then they come over here and we say, listen, baptism don't save you. Jesus does. And after you're saved, you need to be baptized. That's confusing. That's because we have had strife. As a result of that strife, the church is spread, okay? Let's look now. That's the cure. God's kingdom is big enough for everyone, but not at the same place. Y'all get, did y'all get anything out of that? Not everyone fits together. You know, I also thought about this while I'm on this subject. Since y'all got me off on it, can you imagine the spiritual gifts that's in other churches that's not being used except on a very, very small scale to where you could take those spiritual gifts and put them in another church, even a larger church, and God could use them in a mighty way. You ever thought about that? A Sunday school teacher with four in another church might come here and before long he'd have 40. Gifted people. 
And yet they, they leave their gifts and don't utilize their gifts because they're there at that church and they're stuck at that church and they've been at that church because mom was at that church and dad was at that church and grandmom and grandpa was at that church and they just, they, they, they just not going to leave it. I don't want anybody to leave our church. They do. They will. But I don't want them to. But if they don't fit, they're better off to do it than to stay and cause strife. I'm just saying. And the same thing is for other people. Now look at his choice, 10, verse 10 through 14. Lot chose. Look, then Lot chose him all the plain Jordan. Lot chose. You know, choices can be a hard thing. You know what? It's hard to make choices, isn't it? When you have to try to decide on certain things that's important, it's hard to make choices. Kind of like the boy I heard about, he, he, he uh, went to work on a potato farm, and the man told him, said, here's all you have to do. He said, you put the big ones in this, this pile and this box, put the medium ones in this pile and these boxes, and you put the little ones in this pile and these boxes. Next day, he came to him, he said, I want you, sir, I, I, just, I hate to tell you this, but I'm quitting. He said, well, is the job too hard? Oh, he said, no, 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 no. Is the work too hard? No, 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 no. It's the choices that's killing me. And that, that's, that's what's killing us, right? Lot's choice messed him up. His choice revealed his character, right? Now, look at the choices we got. First of all, verse 10, he makes a materialistic choice. Look, he looked at the land. It was well watered. And water in that land was of such necessity. It was of such uh, 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 enormous necessity when he saw it was well watered. He didn't ask, is this a good place to raise children? He didn't ask, is this a good place to raise cattle? He didn't ask if the school system was good. He didn't ask if the community had any religious uh, leanings. He didn't ask what the politicians were like. He didn't do anything like that, he just chose it on a materialistic choice. Just because somebody offers you a job making more money doesn't mean that puts you in the will of God. Secondly, he made a compromising choice. He tried to hold on to the world in God. That's why in the New Testament, Jesus says in the last days, it will be like the days of Lot. Why? Because compromising choices. The church has made so many of them now, you can't even tell what the church looks like. Compromising choices. Look, he was trying to hold on to the world and yet still say God's. He tried to make Eden and Egypt look alike. He wanted both of them, but he couldn't have it. Thirdly, he made a selfish choice. Verse 11. Lot chose him. Look what it says. Then Lot chose him. He wasn't making it for his family. He wasn't making it for his servants. He wasn't making it for the rest of the people that was going to go with him. He was making it for him. What's wrong? That's selfish. He had no concern for Abraham, his uncle. Had it not been for him, he'd not be where he was. Had it not been for Abraham, he wouldn't have gotten in on the faith of God. Had it not been for Abraham, who had given him all that he'd given him, he wouldn't have anything. But he didn't care about Abraham. 
He didn't care about his family. He didn't care about the will of God. Lot cared about Lot. Look at, third, th- look at the fourth choice he made, a dangerous choice in verse number 12. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now, he didn't move into Sodom, but he's leaning that way. He's, he, 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 he's, he's moving a little closer. He's leaning towards Sodom. He wants to get down there where Sodom is. You see, around Sodom at that particular time, today, it's, it's a, a, a desolate place. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a desert, basically, deserted land, uh, nothing but dry, no, nothing you see living. And, and, but evidently, in the days of Lot during that time, it was a well-watered plain down there around the Red Sea. Somehow, there was, God had well-watered it. And so, he chose dangerous because he pitched his tent toward Sodom and that revealed the direction his life was about to take. Now, it didn't look so bad at the first. There was a few questionable things, but that was all right. But he was leaning and becoming lenient. Borderline sins started happening in his life. I call them the sins of the suburbs. You see, now he's on the suburbs But he's leaning, he's leaning, he's leaning, leaning towards Sodom. The sins of being in the suburbs. When God told them to stay out of cities, don't you go to cities, you pitch you a tent, and you build you an altar. But he's leaning towards Sodom. Oh, the lights are twinkling. Everybody's talking about what's going on in Sodom. They're partying in Sodom. There's brothels in Sodom. There's alcohol in Sodom. There's immorality and perversion in Sodom. He got to hearing about all the things going on in that city, and he began to become curious. He thought, maybe I've been too, maybe I haven't been open-minded enough. Maybe I've been too close-minded, and so he began to open up his mind and compromise everywhere he could. Dangerous choice. He was leaning toward a philosophy of city life, a city where homosexuality was rampant, and God basically used that as the major reason why he destroyed it. They, he accepted and endorsed a city just like that. It was a city of violence. We see that. They were violent. They even wanted to try to kill the angels. They were violent. They were immoral. They was no doubt full of perversion and pornography, uh, whatever it was in that day. They had no respect for God. It was an elitist place. It was a feminism place. It was a socialism community. That's what we had. You see, God knew something about Sodom that Lot couldn't see in verse 13. Y'all still with me tonight? Okay. Lot knew, God knows something here about Sodom that Lot couldn't see. What did I talk about Sunday? When we get out of the will of God and become a carnal Christian, what happens? We get blind. Remember? We can't see things. And every now and then, you'll hear people probably tell you when you're talking to them, well, I just don't see it that way. You know why they don't see it that way? They're blind. They look, at the, they look at the words, but they're blind. You don't do anything for them or to them. 
Don't do anything in them. They're blind. And so look, look what happened. He was leaning toward that philosophy of life, but in verse 13, God knew something. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Do you think that not already Lot had at least heard some of that? But he leaned his tent towards Sodom. That's where the action was. And when you get to Genesis 14, 12, he don't lean into Sodom. He moves into Sodom. He said, if I move into Sodom, my son can be the Sodom High School quarterback. If I move into Sodom, my daughters can be the Sodom High School cheerleaders. Well, that's a pretty nasty place, Lot. Yeah, but they're going to really be popular there. And if I move into Sodom, my wife will have shop after shop after shop that she can shop in. And we'll have little restaurants to eat in. If I move into Sodom. He never once stopped to ask, what's the high school like in Sodom? What about the churches in Sodom? Is is there any altars in Sodom? Is there any places to where people worship in Sodom? He never asked. He didn't care about that. What about feminism? Is there feminism in Sodom? Is there elitism in Sodom? Uh, Is there idolatry in Sodom? No, he didn't ask about that. No. You see, all he could see is sitting in the gate. Being a big man in the city. <laughs> Most people who become a big man in the city, it, ruin, it ends up ruining them. They start compromising. They start getting greedy. But in Genesis 14, 12, when he moves on in, he, we, there's no more tents we find in his life. And there's no more altars that we ever see in his life Lot now moved to town, made him a place, became rich, and became respected. But if tonight, um, I just want to do this. Lot moved to this town, made him this place. But if we could ask Lot four questions tonight. If we could ask Lot four questions tonight, and he could stand here and answer them for us. It would certainly be eye-opening if he would be honest. Question number one. Lot, how has this move into Sodom affected you? I mean, really affected you inside. How has this move affected you? And 2 Peter 2.8 said, It had vexed him. That word means tortured him. And he'd say with tears running down his eyes, I've been miserable since the day I set foot in this place. I knew God didn't want me here, but I wanted to be here, and I've been miserable. If he'd be honest, that's what he'd say. I wish I was back out there with Abraham. 
I wish I'd have got that strife settled and, and we'd have stayed closer together and I'd stayed in my tent and left these cities alone and, and I'd build altars like, like Uncle Abraham had done. I wish I'd have done that, but I didn't. I'm miserable. I'm tortured. I'm vexed in my heart. That's what Second Peter chapter 2, verse 8 says. Number 2, here's another question I'd ask. Lot, how has this move affected your family? Your daughter's married these boys here. How's that worked out? Oh, he said, all of them are lost. None of them knows God. None of them wants to know God. Can't talk to them about God. They're wicked. They're ungodly. He said, it's killing me in my heart to know my daughters, my children, have married these wicked sodomites. He said, it's killing me to see it. And it's ruined our family. My wife is so attached here. She loves it here in Sodom so much. She's attached to the shops and the clubs and the people. I can't keep them out of this place. They won't leave this place. They love this place. That's how it's affected our family. I never dreamed 25 years ago we'd be living like we're living now. Question number three, Lot. What has this move done for Sodom? Has anybody gotten saved? Well, to be honest, I've been kind of scared to witness here. I hadn't talked to too many people about Christ. Lot, you mean you hadn't won five people to Jesus? No. You had won 10 people to Jesus? That's just your family. You haven't even won your family to Jesus? There's 10 of them that we know about. What have you done for Sodom? You're supposed to be the light of the world. You're supposed to be the salt of the earth. You was to come into this land of idolatry and you was to give a testimony of the promises that God had given us that the seed of Abraham was going to pass through to Messiah who would hang on a cross, die for our sins, raise from the dead, and give us eternal life. But I didn't tell anybody that. Lot, what did you get out of Sodom? I went in rich. I came out of pauper. I started living in a tent. Then I moved into a city. And I lost it all and wound up in a cave. Here's my last thing, and I'll be done. I'm losing. My, those are my drivers. I'm sure it's leaving, so don't y'all panic. I, hadn't made, I don't think I've made that many mad. But verse 14 through 18 is a confirmation given by God. You see, when Lot moved into Sodom, Abram didn't lose a thing. Even though Lot left and took his spot, the spot probably where Abraham would have gone, the spot that was his right 
to have. The, the, the fruitage plain, the greatest plain. He probably would have been there in his tents, not leaning towards Sodom, but in his tents, that's what he would do. But no, Lot took that and the strife ended and God kept blessing Abraham and God kept enlarging Abraham and God kept honoring Abraham for his faith. And he's willing to give up his rights to stop the strife, made him the most powerful man in the land. And God confirmed it. Church, I want to tell you something tonight. As long as we're pitching tents and building altars, we're in pretty good shape. You say, what does that mean? If we move into Sodom, we ruin our children. If we become like the people of Sodom, and I'm talking about the people of the world today, we ruin our church. And if we adapt the life of Sodom, we ruin our testimony. And if we keep on, we'll ruin our life. The devil tries to persuade Christians that the first question I'm going to ask you tonight is all that matters as long as they're saved. When he knows that he's lost one to salvation, the devil tries to convince them, hey, he's probably tried to convince you. He said, well, it doesn't matter now that you're saved. I mean, it's okay. You can't lose your salvation. you got a great God. And, 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 and listen, it, you, just, you, you don't have to worry about a thing. You don't have to witness. You don't have to pray. You don't have to do anything that thing because you're going to be saved anyway so our first choice tonight we got to make is between heaven and hell do we want to go to heaven or do we want to go to hell do we want to trust Jesus or are we going to listen to the devil do we want life or do we want death that's first choice we first choose heaven over hell but here's what's killing the church we choose heaven over earth. But instead, we're choosing earth over heaven. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Have you made the right choices? I think most of us here tonight's probably made the first choice right, haven't we? We've chose heaven over hell. We know that there was a Christ. We know that there was salvation in him. We trusted that Christ. We probably got that right. Most of us, maybe not. If you're here tonight and you hadn't got that right, why don't you make that first choice as a Christian, that's the only way you're going to live the Christian life. You've got to make that first choice by surrendering totally to Jesus in faith. But probably most of the people here on a Wednesday night are folks that are tempted to choose the earth over heaven. Tonight, maybe somebody needs to say, God, give me the powerful Grace, help me to surrender to you to the point that every time I'll choose heaven over earth. That's hard. It's hard.